Okay, so we are finishing up, like I said, our mini-series going through our distinctives and our vision. Uh, it matters to us. We've talked about this before. As a foundation, it's pretty important for a building. Um, so is uh, the foundations of what we are running after and pursuing are, are really important to us. So we need to be aware of what those things are if we want to know what that foundation is for us. And so our vision is we're committed to seeing lives transformed and our city renewed with the gospel of Jesus. It's critically important to who we are. That is our direction. If you're not interested in that, maybe this isn't the right community for you. But this is where we want to go. We want to see lives transformed and our city renewed with the gospel of Jesus. And so we have four distinctives that are kind of helping that current, pushing us towards that end. So we are a gospel-centered community. Everything that we breathe, we want it to be founded upon the gospel. I see it as like it's a path that we are walking on as we're following Jesus. So we're gospel-centered, we're contemplative. We value slowing down to be with Jesus. We are authentic. We talked about that last week, that we recognize that Jesus has actually invited us to change us to our core, not just showing up on Sunday, but actually to change who we are. And so we believe that he's inviting us to become like him. And then our, our last distinctive, so we've gospel-centered, contemplative, authentic, and then lastly would be missional. And so we believe that Jesus is inviting us to do what he did, and we want to see that in our community. So our hope, again, we want to see lives transformed by Jesus. And so, uh, again, the analogy, the best analogy I can give, which isn't a great one, but it is as if we are on a path, and that path that we're walking on is to be gospel-centered. And there's three kind of necessary things that we need on that journey, and that is to be with Jesus, which would be contemplative, to become like Jesus, which would be authentic, and to do what he did, which would be to be missional. So, we're going to talk about what it means to be missional. This morning, we're going to be in Genesis 1, and then we're going to be, G, be in G, uh, Matthew 28. And so, you know, in the Christian environment, I was talking to some of our, um, we do kind of a pre-game time with our Sojourn Kids volunteers um, before they serve. And we were talking about this downstairs beforehand. Um, just growing up in the church, oftentimes this word missional can kind of typically, at least for some of us, if you grew up in the church, make you think of like global missions, make you think of like over the sea, like across the ocean. That's kind of where this value uh, kind of comes into action. And it's brought, I think, a good bit of confusion for us uh, as we live here. Like, what does that mean for us? We have missionaries who are missional, and to be missional means that we predominantly give to missions or we become missionaries. So that's kind of way maybe some of us have seen it before. And obviously, we want to be generous. We believe that Jesus has invited us to give to missions and to put our money behind that. We also want to be a space as a community. If you feel drawn towards global missions, we want to get behind that and empower you. If you're interested in that, man, reach out to me. I'd love to talk with you about that. But, but the question is, what about for the rest of us? Like, where does missional fit in for us? For those that maybe don't feel called to global missions, maybe want to give to global missions, but what, what else? Is that all it is, or is it more than that? So I want to I spend some time. That's what the question I want to ask for us this morning. Where, where does missional fit for us here and now? So I want to lay some groundwork, and then I have two points for us. The first is kind of a theological. Theological means study of God, and so a theological kind of understanding so we know where we're tracking, where we're going. So God is missional. He is missional. To be missional means we are reflecting God. So Tim Keller, I'll use a couple quotes from him throughout our time this morning. But he says, God is a missional God. The Trinity is by nature sending. The Father sends the Son into the world to save it. 
And the Father and the Son send the Spirit into the world. And now the Spirit is sending the church to fulfill his purposes in the earth. The biblical God is a missionary God. So if God is missional, a sending God, then as his people, we too function like him. You know, in the context of adoption, we have been adopted into the family of God. And so just like any other adoption, when you bring a child into your family, the expectation over time is to show them the values of the family, to show them this is what we do, this is how we function, this is how we operate. And in the same way, as we've been adopted into the family of God, we too take on the characteristics of our Father in heaven. We begin to believe what he believes. We begin to experience how he's sent and loved and cared for us. And in return, we don't just allow that to be a dead end, but we allow that to be a, a funnel or a channel by which we extend that to the world. Just as God has sent himself, all of himself, to us, so we, as the church, do the same. So to be missional is to be sent into the world. We are missional as he is missional. So I want to emphasize two ways we have been sent into the world. We might think of the latter one more than the former, but I think that both of them are critically important to us. So again, we're going to look at Genesis 1. We're going to look at Matthew 28, and these are two commissions that God has given to us as his image bearers, and more specifically as followers of Jesus. Let's flesh them out. So the first is that we are sent to cultivate and keep. We are sent to cultivate and keep. So, so in the creation narrative, we learn about God, and we learn about his design. Uh, as we get into Genesis 1, if you've read it before, you, you see this pretty crazy moment where this being in the beginning created all kinds of things. We see that he, we learn that he's a creator. We learn that he creates in Genesis 1. We learn that his creation is beautiful. We learn that his creation is expansive. We learn that he's the source of all things. In the beginning, God. So prior to God, there was, there was nothing. There's never been a time where God hasn't been. He's always been in the beginning, and he is the source of all things. We learn that in Genesis 1. We learn that he is methodical, We've learned, we learn that he's architectural. We learn that he is purposeful in how he created. So whether you, whether you read chapter one in a literal way or in a poetic way, that's a hope, open-handed issue to me. Regardless, we see these realities playing out. And it culminates in the sixth day. We have these days built up. And then uh, the sixth day we read in Genesis 1. It says this in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. So something shifts on the sixth day. If you remember reading through it, we see kind of very um, strategically God creates certain things, but then the sixth day, he creates something unique and something much more majestic than anything else he created in the first five days. He creates these image bearers. 
These image bearers which were designed to reflect the creator. He created them male and female. He blessed them. He charged them to be fruitful and multiply. He said, subdue the earth. He said, have dominion over the earth. To the height of the birds of the heavens, to the lowest fish of the sea, we are to have dominion. These creation, this, this, these male and female image bearers are designed to have dominion over these things. And, and in return, we as humanity are designed as image bearers to be responsible for the earth and to make it better. Humanity was charged to care for the planet by our creator long before Greta Thunberg told us to. Okay, so she's not the one that first told us to care for the earth. The creator actually taught us to care for the earth. And then in chapter 2, verse 15, it kind of dials in a little bit more and we can't miss it. It says that the, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So this is the design of humanity. That we are designed to, in this place called earth, to work it and to keep it. There's other translations that say cultivate and keep. To tend it and work, watch over it. To take care of it and look after it. To work the ground and keep it in order. So humanity was created and sent into the world as the first commission to cultivate and keep this place that we live in. John Mark Comer says, it about, says this about this text. He says, when you think of Eden, don't think of a public park with a lawn, a playset, and a flower bed or two where God hands Adam a lawnmower and says, keep it tidy, will ya? Think of a violent, untamed wilderness teeming with uh, beauty but no infrastructure. No roads, no bridges, no cities, no civilization. And God says, go make a world. Adam wasn't a landscape maintenance employee. He was an explorer, cartographer, a gardener, a designer, an architect, a builder, an urban planner, a city maker. This is the way we were called to cultivate and keep. This is the first commission. Or consider what Tim Keller says. He says, we are continuing God's work of forming and filling and subduing. Whenever we bring order out of chaos, whenever we draw out creative potential, whenever we elaborate and unfold creation beyond where it, ha- where it was when we found it, we are following God's pattern of creative cultural development. This is what it looks like to be ones who cultivate and keep. See, we were created to work. We were created to make better. We were actually charged to be sent into the world to work and make it better. We were not called to rest six days and work one day. We were called to work six days and rest one day. So we're commissioned to cultivate and keep. So work is now rearranging the raw matter of God's design and actually causing the world generally and people specifically to thrive and flourish. This is a commission that you and I have been charged to be sent into the world to do. So as image bearers, we are making this invisible God visible. This creator, through us, continuing to create in this world. We are mimicking God in our commission by what we do and how we do it. So this is the first commission. So friends, everything that matters to God, it's not just Sundays that matter to God. The way of Jesus, it permeates and it influences and shapes every facet of who we are. We can very easily disconnect the the spiritual life 
and our ordinary life. But God's design for us is for all of life to come underneath his umbrella. Tim Keller goes on to consider this. He says, everyone will be forgotten. Nothing we do will make any difference in all good endeavors. Even the best will come to naught. Unless there is God, if the God of the Bible exists and there is a true reality beneath and behind this one, and this life is not the only life, then every good endeavor, even the simplest ones, pursued in response to God's calling, can matter forever. So whether you're in sales, or whether you're in marketing, or financing, whether you uh, are pursuing being an entrepreneur, whether you're a counselor or a teacher or in the medical field or a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad or a student, there is no insignificant work. The creator God in uh, the Old Testament was a gardener, and in the New Testament, he was a carpenter. He was a blue-collar figure for us that did hard, good, beautiful work, and in return, we're called to resemble him and how we live. See, the Christian ethic is to see all of work as valuable. Blue collar and white collar all coexist to further develop this world. This is our first commission. And here's our dilemma. We are more Gnostic than we realize. To be Gnostic or Gnosticism is kind of separating this physical world from the spiritual world. So we see everything spiritual as good and beautiful and right, and everything physical we can see is kind of negative. And so we listen to what I'm saying right now, and it's kind of hard for us because we're like, work matters to God, and we have a hard time computing with that. We can kind of have this thought in our head that if we're not saving souls, we're not doing God's work. But that's not the Bible. We're sent to cultivate and keep imaging our Father in heaven, to be image bearers here in this world both the world in general and people in particular, to thrive and flourish. So as image bearers, we're invited to allow these God-given gifts that you have, we want to see the gifts in you actually flourish for the fame and name of Jesus. So if you feel drawn or called to sales, or you're really good with numbers, or you're really good with sitting down with somebody and helping guide their hearts towards Jesus, or guide them towards reconciling in their marriage, if you have these gifts, we want to say, then do it. You don't have to be a pastor to fulfill God's purpose for your life. You don't have to be called to go overseas to fulfill God's purpose for your life. You may be called to just work a couple miles from here and faithfully do the best, hardest work you can there and to honor Jesus in the midst of that. We believe that God sends us into the world, some locally and some globally, and we simply want to be a part of fanning that flame. Not to leverage it, your gifts, for your own identity. Not to leverage your gifts to... Uh, receive the blessing and to hoard. Just because you have gifts that lead you to make a lot of money doesn't mean that you should use all that money on yourself, right? And so we want to leverage our gifts to actually funnel it towards kingdom endeavors. Our gifts are not for our own ego. Man, when our ego gets in the way, we devolve into something less than human. But the Christian ethic is for work to become beautiful in what we put our hands See, the greatness for the Christian is not in building unto retirement, but to love and serve our neighbor. And so we are sent as image bearers in the first commission to cultivate and keep and make beautiful what's around us. We are sent to cultivate and keep. 
Secondly, this one we're more familiar with, so I'll spend a little less time on it, but it's equally as important to us. We are sent to cultivate and keep, and we are sent to be disciples who make disciples. We're sent to be disciples who make disciples. This will be the second commission. We talk about this fairly regularly at Sojourn, but I want to read it again to us. Matthew 28, this profound few words that Jesus gives to us that becomes a clear uh, commission for the church. And he says this, starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's risen from the dead. There's now nothing that can hold him down. Death has been swallowed by him. And he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So let's flesh this out. So we are first, again, sent to make this world and generally and people specifically to flourish and thrive as we cultivate and keep. And then second, we are sent to be disciples who make disciples. So at Sojourn, we earnestly desire to see our men and our women empowered to see that you and I are part of a greater, more beautiful, more profound kingdom than the puny kingdom that our culture tells us to live for. We are invited into something much more beautiful and profound. So to be a missional church means that we're seeking to equip our people towards this end. So our goal for you is not just to get you to invite your neighbor to church, though you may have done so. But we actually want to build relationships with people that don't know Jesus. Then we return, I think, that like in the Billy Graham movement, it was just kind of this easy thing that Billy Graham became the person that would evangelize America. And so we just invited people to that, and we lost the opportunity to actually build a relationship with our neighbors. It was just like, go and hear from him. I'm too awkward, and I don't want to talk to you about Jesus, and so get him to do it. And in return, we've lost our way, and we don't know what it looks like to have an honest conversation with our neighbor about our faith. An honest conversation with our neighbor about what it looks like to be a broken person who needs Jesus. An honest conversation with somebody to, to talk to them about what it looks like to allow Jesus to form and shape our marriage and how we feel challenged to, to just live for ourselves, but Jesus is, the way he's loved me has caused me to love my wife just like he's loved me. Like to allow our faith to actually integrate and actually come into the realities of our lives. We're invited to that. So yes, we are called to do something uncomfortable. Jesus never called us to have an easy life. Jesus isn't really interested in that. Jesus has called us to be uncomfortable. So yes, we're summoned to be pushed out of our comfort zone. For some that are extroverted, this has ramifications. And for some that are introverted, this has ramifications. But yes, we are invited to show the world that following Jesus is actually where we find life. The following Jesus is actually what it looks like to be truly human, to submit ourselves to him, to recognize that for us, our autonomy does not lead us to freedom. We talked about this last week. Our, our autonomy leads us to slavery, but our submission to the one and only who's autonomous actually leads us to freedom and actually learn how to have conversations with our neighbors as we talk to them about sports or art or 
whatever we talk to our neighbors about, that we actually talk to them about our life. Yeah, yeah, like with our limp, that this is actually who we are. So one relationship at a time, one meal at a time, long-term intentional relationships of care and love, bringing the gospel within these relationships. I have three boys, Judson, Luca, Rowan. Judson's 11, Luca's turning six, and Rowan's turning four this year. Uh, and Luca is a, in certain settings, he is a ridiculously awesome social butterfly. And he just flaps them wings like crazy in certain circles. And so he likes to draw pictures. He likes to write notes. And there's an older gentleman in our neighborhood, lives a couple doors behind us who's got a long, pony, long white, <clears throat> white ponytail. And he's, he's kind, of a, kind of a hermit to himself, uh, doesn't really get out much. We really tried to engage with him and just love him because we know that he's lonely. And, uh, and so uh, one day, this was probably like two months ago, uh, Luca was like, hey, I want to write a, a note to the guy with the ponytail. I was like, tired, don't really want to. Kind of, and he kept pushing me. And he kept pushing me, and he kept pushing me. And so finally, I was like, okay, fine, we'll go. So we walked over there and gave him the note, and he had tears in his eyes. And he's like, I was just hoping that somebody would talk to me today. It's like, daggum, Luca, you're just like, you're teaching me and reminding me the importance of actually being kind to people. Like, right, like this is what we've been called to do, to love the people that are around us. And we ended up having a, an hour-long conversation on his front little patio area, just talking about life. All because little Luca just wanted to be kind. Like, man, I can learn from this kid. You know, like, I just was tired. And that's, like, part of the struggle for us. We kind of pull into our driveway. We put our, our, the bridge from our, uh, to, to up. And we kind of just enter into our own world. Till we go to bed and we repeat. And, man, there's something so life-giving about giving of ourselves. The people that aren't in our tribe. People that aren't just like us. People that may not vote like us. People that may be different than us. And to actually just love freely. Like there's something so true about what Jesus said when he said it's better to give than to receive. He actually knew what he was talking about. And so there's an opportunity for us to remember what it looks like to just really practically love the people around us. This is how, again, the early church functioned for us. They, they weren't just a bunch of trained preachers and evangelists. They were people that didn't know much, but they knew that Jesus was real, and that they chose to live their life before people, to talk to people about Jesus, to share the truth of Jesus, to share life with people. Not formal preaching, but informal conversations. It's not about extending the track. It's not about saying the three things in the first conversation. It's about building relationships. We've made this so awkward. We've made it more awkward than it already is by this pressure of having to say or do the right things. Like The cause is just to be human before people. And to invite people into the story that we are now presently living in our own warts and struggles and difficulties and trials and the realities of strengths and weaknesses and all of that. This is how we exemplify Christ. The world isn't looking for a cocky church. The world is looking for a humble church that needs Jesus. And that's what we're inviting our people into. Not for a cocky church that has all the answers and needs to have all the answers before we talk with people, but man, in our own imperfections. This is a church that needs Jesus. How Jesus actually engages our life. Like I said, how Jesus is forming me to love one woman with all of my heart like Jesus loved me. To how Jesus is forming me to love and care for my kids the way God the Father is caring for me. 
How Jesus is challenging me to be generous amidst my own greed and seeing how he's loved me and generously given of himself for me. The world is looking not for cockiness, but vulnerability. And in that opportunity, we have an opportunity to limp and to show people the truth and the strength of Jesus in our own weaknesses. See, we are sent to be disciples who point people to Jesus. Show people the joys and the life and the struggle of faith and the realities before us. Because if people only see the strengths of faith and they enter into it and they see a whole other side of difficulty and hardship, then how do we have a palate to actually walk with Jesus through life? So we want to invite people into the whole gamut, the truth of what it looks like to follow him. So we're sent to be a verbal witness to the gospel in our webs of relationships. We're sent to love our neighbors and to do justice within our neighborhoods and cities. We're sent to integrate our faith with our work in order to engage culture through our vocation. So we are sent to cultivate and keep. We're sent to be disciples who make disciples. And so there's two missional expressions uh, to who we are, and I want to land with these two. The first is... Uh, local care. The, the two are going to be local care and, and global outreach. So local care. So we value caring for our world around us. We want our world around us to be better because we're here. Not for our own namesake, but for Jesus's. And so we want to do that in how we live and how we love our neighbor, but we also want to do that in how we engage the needs in our community. And so we talk frequently about the quartet of the vulnerable. The quartet of the vulnerable is the the widows and the orphans and the immigrants and the poor. And so we want to be intentional to care for those that are around us. From womb to tomb, we're summoned to follow Jesus and love people around us. Tim Keller, again, I think this is the last quote I got from him. But he says, no heart that loves Christ can be cold to the vulnerable and the needy. So we want to care for those around us. And so really practically at sojournaline.org slash outreach, we have several different ministries that we're partnering with locally in our care for our community. The first would be Brumby Elementary School. As we've moved, as we've merged uh, Paper Mill Road Baptist Church and Sojourn merged into one, we wanted to be a long-term faithful presence with Brumby Elementary School. We want to build a long-term faithful, resilient, caring presence with Brumby Elementary School. And Mike Murata has been leading this over the last year and some change. And we've been building that where there are needs and they call us. And we want to continue to lean into that. And the way we do that is that we together uh, invest into the needs in Brumby. And so we want to create space for support at Brumby Elementary. We want to uh, support uh, things that are happening at Atlanta Angels. So Atlanta Angels is a foster care community. And we want to support and get behind families who are, in, uh, are, are serving uh, foster, foster kids. It's a, it's a need, it's a reality. If we want to care for the orphans in our community, this is a very practical way that we do that. We want to engage and support. We might not all be called to foster care, but we can get behind families who are. And Atlanta Angels helps us with that. Third First Care Women's Clinic is a ministry right off the Marietta Square, and we want to get behind what they're doing there as they come along, moms who are considering abortions, and actually helping those moms move towards having the resources and support they need to be able to move forward and uh, giving their child up for adoption or to 
uh, actually decide to take care of that child. And so they come behind really practically and support moms in a really beautiful way. And so we want to get behind First Care Women's Clinic. Those are some really practical ways that we want to serve the needs of our community from a local vantage point. So on June 12th, in just a couple Sundays, we are having a Serve Sunday. We did this last year. We're going to do it in the summer going forward. And so it's a Sunday where we come together Maybe we dress down a little bit, and we're going to sign up, and a chunk of us are going to go to Brumby Elementary School, and we're going to beautify their campus. We're going to do several things to kind of help and serve and support some needs that are happening at Brumby Elementary. We're going to be getting behind Atlanta Angels, and we're going to be uh, creating a bunch of these love boxes that we'll talk more about in a couple of weeks, but they're these boxes that we give to families who are uh, fostering kids. And it's a box that just supports the family with some really sweet, kind gifts inside of them. So we're going to be putting together uh, those love boxes. We're going to be working on doing some other things with Elena Angels during that day as well. And so our desire for that day is to be able to serve the community that we are in. There's going to be some signups for that. It's family-friendly. It's a beautiful thing. So one expression of being missional is local care. The second expression would be global outreach. We believe that there is an expression of missions that goes beyond the local context. In Acts 13, the church at Antioch understood that their call wasn't just to kind of uh, only care locally, but to also see the gospel go into other nations and cities of the world. And so they were a sending church, the church in Antioch was in Acts 13. And they sent Paul and Barnabas and others into the world, even their best and brightest and smartest and greatest leaders. They were sending them to see the gospel advance. And so we believe the Lord will set a specific call on some in our community to go to different nations, to uh, care and love in places that aren't here, to proclaim the gospel and to love and care for those. And so we have global partners that we're, we've gotten behind. And Harrison and Taylor and um, Patna India and Patrick and Joy in Bangkok, Thailand. We have a, a church planning uh, community that we're working with in Cuba that we're, we're serving and coming alongside of. And so we want to see from a global standpoint, we want to get behind what God's doing there and funnel our finance. Everything that you guys give here, a portion of that goes towards what we're doing globally because we believe it. We want to get behind it. We, it matters to us. We have um, missions moments. We're going to have one next Sunday where we take some time and we, we pray for unreached people groups. And we ask God to move. We ask God uh, for his spirit to be poured out in areas that don't have the gospel at all. So again, we are a community who's committed to seeing lives transformed and our city renewed with the gospel of Jesus. We are gospel-centered, we are contemplative, we are authentic, and we are missional. And so for us, we, we want to recalibrate on what it means to be sent. So for some of us, it's just so easy to get in that lane. How can I make as much money as I can? And just kind of get in this lane of just like work and, and forget that God's actually called me to be more than just make money. He's called me to be generous. He's called me to exemplify Christ where I live and, and where I work. And so what does that actually look like for me practically? Am I loving my coworkers in the way that Jesus would invite me into? Am I actually distinct in my context or am I just like everyone else? Like, What does it look like to be like Jesus in your context? Only you could answer that question. But this is a time where we can revisit and say, no, I want to actually be light. I actually want to be, in the way that God's called me to, to actually be different and actually exemplify Christ where he set my feet. Friends, we have ascending God. We have ascending God who has sent his son into the world. We have ascending God who uh, the Father and the Son sent the Spirit and who the Spirit has sent 
us into the world. We are sent to cultivate and keep, and we are sent to be disciples who make disciples. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, I ask for some of us who maybe just lost a vision for work, just kind of just entered into the, the grind of it and forgetting the heart behind it. Lord, I pray you would revive and kind of reset our hearts to see what you've invited us into to make this world generally and people specifically flourish and thrive. God, would you give us a, a vision for that as a community? Would you give us a vision to love our neighbors well? Give us a vision to care for the communities that are around us. Our apartment complexes, our condos, our townhomes, our, our neighborhoods. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to see that you've actually sent us a specific time in history and a specific place on this planet on purpose. Lord, call our eyes to be set higher to see what you've invited us into, Lord. Lord, we give you thanks for what you're doing in, in India. We give you thanks for what you're doing in Thailand. We give you thanks for what you're doing in Cuba. Lord, would you continue your work? We ask for the fame of Jesus to be put on display but locally and globally for lives. We ask that they would be transformed, our lives would be transformed with the goodness and the gospel of Jesus. Lord, we love you. We bless you. Be with us in this time as we take communion together. In Jesus' name, amen.